0: Welcome to the Lost Then Found podcast. This is a space where we will discuss life, share truth, and gain an encouraging perspective, no matter our season or our circumstances. I'm your host, China Vogel, and this is a peek into my journey of being lost then found. Hello and welcome to the Lost and Found podcast. I am your host, China Vogel, and I am so blessed that you are here today. Uh, you know, we've been in this series called Honest to God, where we've really been unpacking how prayer is this vehicle that we use to get to God, to get our heart to God and to expose it to Him, where we can learn how to be honest with God and this week we are talking about praying for revival and i think it begs a question that we need to dive into right away and that is what is revival you know i was actually posing this question to a friend a few weeks back and it's something i couldn't get away from like i left the conversation and thought man what what is that you know when we say that one person could mean one thing and another person could mean another You know, is it that we're talking about miracles happening, right, where there's signs and wonders, where there's people getting healed of ailments, where, you know, God's showing up in power, right? Or are we talking about maybe just God's presence coming in a really tangible way? Or are we talking about revival that it's where, you know, people are getting saved, uh, you know? A couple people to thousands of people. Are there people getting saved and accepting Jesus as their savior? Or maybe revival to you means that it's something a bit closer to home, like um, maybe a marriage getting saved or a child getting saved from a drug addiction or someone struggling with mental illness and them getting kind of saved out of that pattern of thinking. And I guess I, after sitting and dwelling on it, would say, yes, that I'd say, yes, it's all of it, and it's more. Uh, the Oxford Dictionary actually gives this definition of revival. It says it's an improvement in the condition or strength of, strength of something. And I like that definition, but I don't I didn't feel like that quite captured the, the fullness of what we're talking about in terms of a spiritual revival. It has a part of it, but there's more to it, right? Um... Yes, there's an improvement, but as I went digging, I felt like I've landed on one. It's actually from C.H. Spurgeon. And he says, it is from the Latin, meaning uh, the word revival, and it may be interpreted as thus, to live again, to receive again, a life which has almost expired, to rekindle into a flame, the vital spark, which was nearly extinguished. And he goes on to use this illustration in this article that he had written, and he's actually talking about um, illustrating a person drowning in a pond. You know, if they are they get dragged out and there's people around, they're probably trying to figure out, are you still breathing? Are you, do you still have a heartbeat? And he says, you know, they're going to use all the means that they would use to restore animation. They're going to rub the body. They're going to, you know, pump the chest. They're going to um, potentially give medication. And if the person by chance is still alive, you know, they sit up, they speak, and the people around them rejoice because that person is revived. And I liked this definition because I feel like it kind of captures the heart of something here. And it's that it's when something or someone comes from death to life or near death. And isn't that what would happen in those situations that I talked about where things are going from death to life right like god coming and doing uh you know miracles is showing his wonder working power but in turn that could fan the flame of the faith in the hearts of his people that his people who could be discouraged or weary would be in this like revived state of like oh no i remember who god is or maybe it's you know god coming and drawing um people unto him as scripture says Resulting in many people getting saved, like them being saved from eternal damnation. Or maybe it's God showing up in a marriage where there is no hope. And I think it can absolutely be that, where you know, he comes and a marriage that started in this covenantal love that goes to the brink of brink of death, brink of destruction. And then God can show up and deposit hope and love or he can come with his presence in the way that only he can, and he can mend up a broken mind and a broken spirit to to cast out depression and anxiety, to cast down suicidal thoughts and erect the truth of who Jesus is in in the soul of that person. It's all of it, right? And it's more. All of those things are death to life. And if you've been in church for any length of time, I'm imagining that you've probably heard this word revival. And I feel kind of, um, you know, as I was thinking about it, maybe just like a holy pause (laughs) in my breathing. Uh, but I can say that I've been a part of a move of God, uh, like we're talking about. And you know, for, for us, for my husband and I, we both were raised in Christian homes. We had done some premarital counseling at a church in the Quad Cities, uh, that's nearby to us, um, but we lived 50 minutes away, and so over time, you know, we got married, and then it kind of faded, and we just got into the routine of life. You know, you go to work, you come home, you go to work, you come home, and then you kind of end up living for the weekend and um, and kind of living for yourself and your own comfort, right? And so for us, we found ourselves in 2014, beginning of 2014, showing up in a leaky warehouse. And this warehouse is um, in a town nearby and literally water would come in through holes in the roof. Um, But my husband and I showed up, uh, were invited by a friend. And what happened to us was nothing short of a miracle. Uh, you know there's nothing necessarily that physically happened on the outside, but there was a revival that happened in the Vogels. There was a revival that happened in our hearts, and you know for us, we believed you know we're not horrible, we're not hyper spiritual, but we're not bad, right? But no, God came in, and as He does, he touched us, and he said, "Hey, I've called you." I have a place for you here. I have family for you here that I've given you a purpose that I've called you by name. And so when the Lord got a hold of us, we kind of dove in head first. And honestly, I know without a shadow of a doubt that we had friends and we definitely had family that thought we were crazy and that really gave hard pressure against us going all in. And we heard about it. We heard about it. We had opposition. We had um honestly di- division in families because of it. But God kept touching our hearts, and all we could do was to say, I don't know what else to do but to say yes. And you know, for us, you know what that looked like? It looked like a marriage that was uh, you know, okay by the world standards that wasn't falling apart, but really we were selfish, we were working for the weekend, we were wrapped up in our own comfort and our own desires and our own wants. And then that led us, man, to a, a marriage that had life breathed into it, that had a foundation that was unmoving as its foundation, that God spoke into us over our finances, which we were so careless with. And he said, I want you to be crazy generous and to keep pushing all of it in. And so we said yes. And he showed us how good he is, like how Um, not only of a good father he is, but he showed us how much of a provider that he is. And I share this next part with you, not to boast in ourselves or in anything else or to boast in how, oh, we gave and then the Lord matched it, but purely to say, God is provider. That God is provider. You know, for us, we felt compelled. The first move really was to start tithing. And then it was, uh, felt that the Lord told us to give a car away and not just any car, our our only good car. We had one that had, I want to say like 250,000 miles on it. So we kept the 250,000 gas leak car <laughs> and gave our, you know, to us good car. Probably it was a stable car, but not a great car, but to give that car away. And as we did that, I can't tell you how much the Lord matched us on the other side. There has been countless, countless testimonies of the Lord showing up in our need, especially within finances. We've been the recipients of trips where people said, hey, I felt like the Lord wanted us to bless you with this, where, you know, those people probably didn't know, but we needed rest and care for our bodies and our souls. Man, when we had one working vehicle and someone walks up to us after a service and hands us keys to a car that was better and nicer than we had ever owned. And that right there has happened multiple times. Not just once, multiple times. And so friends, I I tell you all this like that's revival. That's revival. Oh man, he's led us to mountaintops and held our hands through the darkest valleys, all while strengthening us, all while making us look more like him. And that has carried on into us in our marriage, in us as parents, in us as um, ministers of the gospel, God did a revival in me, in China, in Justin. And I remember hearing, especially early on, and honestly, confession time, I was offended the first time I heard it, that I had um, a college age student come who knew me because I was a, I worked at the college that was in town at the time. And I had a, a student come and he said, Hey, you like, aren't the same. And at first I was irritated by it. And then I realized what he was actually saying. He was saying like, hey, you don't look the same. And it's right. I don't look the same. No kidding. Because I met Jesus. I met Jesus and my world got turned upside down. That I realized that there was something far bigger than myself to live for. And over the last eight and a half years since that's happened, over and over again, the God Uh, has not only continued to do a revival work in us, that's, that's really what we call sanctification as believers, that he keeps pruning and cutting and bringing about new fruit in our lives. But he did it in hundreds and thousands of other people as well at our church. When the reality is, is that, yes, this happened here and that's amazing. And that is a move of God. That is a revival happened here in a very sad, dark, depressed part of um Iowa and Illinois right on the Mississippi that happened but friend this is actually happening all over the world all over the country these kind of things are happening where you see a move of god happen and you want to know why <laughs> and if you don't know it I'm I'm so excited to tell you that god is not just written in the bible he's not just this like story that's like great that people apply their lives to know he is a living active God he is a moving God and he is still in the same amount of authority and power that he's ever been in today as he was a thousand years ago and you know as it was true for Justin and I the more that God um, has done a reviving in us the more that he's changed us and revived the dead stuff in us the more That he has, and I would argue, has been able to, uh, he's been able to work through us because of our willing participation. And just uh, like us submitting, uh, God wants that for you as well. He, He not only wants to do a revival in you, but he wants to do a revival through you. Do you hear that? God wants to do a revival in you, yes, for your benefit, but God wants to do a revival through you. Friend, we have been given influence to the people, the people in our homes, the people in our areas, the people at work, the people we bump into at church, the people at the gas station. We have been given proximity and influence to these people. And if we allow God's revival work to happen in us, he wants to manifest and bring his power and truth through us into those situations. But it does start with a liberation in us. It starts with us scaling the walls in our own minds to tear down the lies of the enemy so that way the truth of Jesus can be erected in our minds and in our lives so it can flow through us. It starts by us picking up the spiritual weapons that we've been given. And, and actually wielding them, and then God's power flows through those areas so we can bring healing and freedom and revival to the spaces and the people around us because he has revived us and because he is reviving us. Revival is dead things coming to life. And what better example than the fact that we have dead, desolate, sinful areas in our thinking and in our lives and in our habits that God wants to breathe on and he wants to touch because not because he just wants to change us to change us because he knows there's something better than our broken sinful state and friend when he revives us the revival flows through us And that can go to your spouse when you feel like you're doing your best to keep the status quo. That can go to the friend who hurt you so deeply um, that it seems like there's no way forward. He can bring reconciliation there. It can happen with a parent or with generational thinking that is dysfunctional and seems like this is the way that it's always been and it's always going to be. No, he can rewrite patterns of thinking even. Friend, he wants to use you to bring revival to those situations. He wants you. And so I just want to encourage you, this is worth fighting for, not just for your own sake, but for the people that it could impact far beyond, far beyond yourself. So then this really drives us to this question of what does revival take? What does it take to have a revival? What do we have to do? Okay, I'm here. I sign up. What does it take? (laughs) Well, before we answer that, I felt like I would be amiss to not talk about something that I feel like is a foundational piece to this whole praying for revival topic, and that is fasting. You know, we've been talking about prayer for a few weeks now, and prayer is this way that we try to be honest with God, right? And if... There's a road that we have to go on to get to God. Prayer is the vehicle. And if prayer is the vehicle, fasting is like when you hit the turbo button. And as I was typing that last night, I was uh, thinking through it out loud, and my husband corrected me. He said it's actually called NOS China. Uh, And there isn't a turbo button in cars. But I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, right? That they can hit uh, something that applies more power. And I believe fasting. Fasting is that. Fasting is that for our prayer. It can be a catalyst to open up more power, more powerful prayers and encountering the power and the real living God who wants to encounter you. You know, I was first exposed to fasting when, um, I came on staff at a church a number of years ago in, in my own personal revival, as I was talking about earlier. um, Fasting was something I knew about, but I had never done before. I had no idea how to actually do it. And I believe that the Lord gave me some tools during that season where, you know, every year we would fast as a, as a staff where um, we would uh, forgo our lunches or we would only eat certain kinds of food for a certain period of time. But we'd always end up praying across lunches. That seemed to be a a common trend that would happen. And so we'd put on music and we'd go into our pastor's office and we'd pray. We'd pray individually for the first bit. And then we'd come together and pray um, as a team. And we saw God do some miraculous things in that time. God provided buildings and property and I believe brought about vision for our church that he, he wanted to speak specifically during those times. But I remember walking in there as a newly revived person. (laughs) And I remember thinking, I am so awkward and I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) What am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing right now? I don't even know. Do I like lay down? Do I sit? Do I stand in the corner and don't make eye contact with anyone? Because I literally have no idea what I'm doing. And I want to dispel confusion around this because fasting at its root is actually very simple. We are going without something. We're voluntarily, we're choosing to go without something that we regularly enjoy, like food, right? Like lunch or a type of food, or maybe it's media. And we do that for the sake of some spiritual purpose or pursuit or focus. That's it. We're going without something to pursue something greater. We're denying ourselves to get something greater. What's the greater? God is the greater. His presence is the greater. His wisdom is the greater. So fast, fasting isn't merely me going through this the motions of depriving myself of something. No, it's meant to be a spiritual discipline for seeking more of God's fullness, more of who he is. And I believe that in that wisdom comes, that strength comes, that direction comes, that comfort comes, that um, right thinking comes, that he has a way of healing through that. And, you know, an author, uh, actually a professor that I read, something from Joe Carter had shared this. He had shared 10 uh, reasons for biblical fasting that I felt like really gave a well-rounded thought around this of like, hey, what are some motivations for actually Fasting, right? Because we want to be intentional. We don't want to just go and swing at the air. We want to know what we're doing this for, right? So here's what Professor Carter says He says that it can be to strengthen prayer, it can be to seek God's guidance, it can be used as a way to express grief, it can be used as a way to seek deliverance or protection, it can be a way to express repentance and as a way to return ourselves to God. It can be a way to humble ourselves. It can be a way to express concern and to line our hearts up with the things that God cares for. It can be a way to minister to the needs of others. It can be a way to overcome temptation and to really dedicate yourself to the Lord in a new way. Or it can even be just to give worship to God. And fasting is diverse, and it can seem complex, but it really doesn't have to be complicated or scary. It's like anything. It's like riding a bike for the first time. It's going to take some repetition, um, but really, it's just a tool. It's just a tool that's paired with prayer to find God in a deeper way. And I found that myself. You know, I fasted quite a few times in my walk um, over the last, you know, decade, and there have been times I felt closer to God than I ever have been and then there's been other times where it felt like literally every possible distraction um, and discouragement came up during like the first 48 hours and made me feel ineffective in my fasting and I wanted to quit but I discovered something actually in my most recent fast I was talking with a friend uh, in preparation actually for this podcast for this series and I had a revelation as we were talking that I wanted to arm you with So fasting without prayer is just denying yourself. Fasting without prayer is just denying yourself. Friend, fasting needs to be paired with intentional prayer, with intentional prayer time, where you spend time that's set apart, where you say, I'm going to look at God, where I'm going to listen to him, where I'm going to read the Bible, where I'm going to worship where I can weep, where I can rejoice, where I can hear from him, and where I can give him my single focus. Friend, that is going to yield something far different than just like foregoing a meal. Anybody can can go without a meal. Going without a meal with the focus of committing yourself to seeking the Lord with prayer gets you a way different result And I think honestly, for me, a lot of those fasts, when I came up against opposition, it's because I wasn't implementing this. I wasn't fasting paired with prayer. I was going through the motions. I was doing the religious act of fasting, but I was not partnering it with a heart that says, God, I need to see you. God, I want to see you. Will you speak to me? I need you. That's way different. And I discovered this in my last fast. And the best way I know how to explain it is that I met with God. Like God came into my living room and he met with me (laughs) the very first day of my fast. I sat down, I put on worship music, and he was there. His presence was there. And that's not because I'm unique, although I know I'm special to God because we all are. Scripture says that he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew us before he laid the foundations of the earth. He knew you that intimately because you're that important. But friend, it's not because I'm unique that he showed up. It's because he wants to do that with everyone and he's just looking for willing participants. He wants to come and meet with you. He wants to show you his face. And so I want to invite you, friend, if you're listening tomorrow we're starting a fast. (laughs) Good news. You want to, you want to know how to do this? You want to stretch your, your fasting muscle here, your prayer muscle. Here's your opportunity. We're starting a fast tomorrow. This is going to be a seven day fast. And I, uh, wanted to implement this as a way to equip you, whether you've done it before or not, to put into practice uh, just what it's like to fast partner with prayer. And I believe that God is going to meet you if you apply some of these foundational things. So what this is going to look like. So each day starting tomorrow, we're going to set aside time to fast and pray. You know, personally for me, I'm going to do it over lunch. I'm going to forgo eating that meal and I'm going to focus my energy and my effort on the Lord. So for 30 minutes, I'm going to invite you to set aside time. Doesn't If you want to do more, I've done an hour before. Um, I've done a couple hours before. I've done less. Do something that's manageable. But 30 minutes is a good benchmark where you set aside time and where you focus on just sitting with the Lord and meeting with him, on giving him your soul attention. Each day, I'm going to be providing a 30-minute 30, 30 video of worship uh, recorded by yours truly to encourage you that you can put on in the background. And I'm going to post this on my Facebook so you can play it whenever you're available. You know, some of us can't do lunch. Maybe you can do breakfast or maybe you can do dinner, you know, whatever that looks for you. Or maybe it looks like you're not watching the show you watch every single night. And instead, you, you put on this playlist and... You sit down with your Bible and a journal and wait to hear from the Lord. And I would encourage you to remove as much distraction as possible. Friend, silence your phone. Turn off the TV. God is worth that. (laughs) God is worth that. He's worth us turning off the noise. Make sure this is a time where you can do that. And you know, for me, I've got a lot of noise. I have two toddlers. I have an almost four-year-old and a two and a half year old. There's a lot of noise that happens in our home. <laughs> I promise you. So what I do, I do it during nap time. I that's what I've been doing. I've been doing it during nap time. So I can have a quiet house and I get a journal out. I get my Bible out. I would recommend it being paper so that way you don't have your phone because that thing like it's just crying out for you to go do the things that we fill our time with like Facebook and Instagram and that game or that newspaper thing that you read or whatever. So I would say a paper journal, your Bible and sit, you put on the worship music and you can sit and just be with him. And like I said, you can bring your tears. You can bring your joy. You can bring your questions. You can bring your need. You can say, God, I, I want to, to hunger for you. I want to care about being with you. Would you grow my hunger? You can even ask for him to give you the desire to do the thing you're doing. He'll actually answer that one. I've prayed that before when I'm like, I know I should want you more. Lord, help me to want you more. And friends, I want to equip you in addition to that list. So 30 minutes, you've got a journal, you've got a Bible, put on the worship music, turn off the other noise and be with Jesus. And I want to equip you with some prayer points to pray as you're fasting. That's going to hopefully frame in this praying for revival. So I ended up landing on Isaiah 64 and it felt like it popped up kind of like out of the blue. Um, The other day when I was talking to another friend and I was looking for a different verse landed there and then the title like punched me (laughs) it's entitled a prayer for God's power. If that's not what we're asking for, right? So I think there's some pointers we can get out of Isaiah 64. So if you're taking notes, revival requires, first off, asking for God's glory and power to be revealed on earth as it is in heaven. Isaiah 64 kicks off and verse one, it says, if only you would rend the heavens and come down. He's saying, if only you would rip open the sky and come be here so the mountains would quake at your presence. And as fire kindles the brushwood and causes the water to boil to make your name known to your enemies so that the nations will tremble at your presence. When you did awesome works that we didn't expect, you came down and the mountains trembled at your presence. From ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, and no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait on him. John 3 8 says that the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. And I know that. Uh, that can feel vague you know when we're talking about revival a lot of times we're we're referencing um, some verses where it's talking about god pouring his spirit out right his and spirit can go back be tied back to the word breath or wind right and so the wind blows where it wishes you hear it but you can't see it you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going right and i think sometimes revival can feel this way like man, I just want to see you move God, but I just don't know how to get there. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know where you're going. And and rightfully so we don't know the mind of the mind of God, but I felt so encouraged as I was reading that passage, my heart kind of got lit up. And then I found a cross reference immediately after. And I knew, I knew that it was for us in this time. So I think that that can guide us in our prayer and Ezekiel knew how to pray in accordance with the breath of God. To pray in accordance with the thing that we're not trying to manipulate or tame, but that we want to partner with. Because God is a God that brings dead things back to life. I want to read to you out of Ezekiel 37. God's talking to Ezekiel and he has, he's having this vision over this valley of dry bones there. It's all these dead carcasses that are dry and dead. Like they've been dead a long time, right? And God says to him, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and tell the breath that this is what the Lord God says. Come from the four winds, O breath and breathe into these slain so that they may live friend, we're not trying to control and manipulate revival. We are trying to partner with the very breath of God because he wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to revive dead things. We're not manipulating. We are partnering with him. We're in agreement. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because earth doesn't look like heaven. Earth is messed up. It is broken. We have sin. We have wars. We have very horrible, despicable things in our world. But friends. The breath of God and the power of God wants to, to come. He wants to pour it out. He wants to revive the dead things. So what do we do? We pray in accordance. It's, Ezekiel says, the Lord God says, come. Come and breathe into these slain so they may live. So we partner and we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And, and asking that God's glory and his power would be revealed. And then as a second prayer point, we need to be people of repentance, of humility, and surrender. Number two, we need to be people of repentance, humility, and surrender. Isaiah 64 goes on in verse five and says, you welcome those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. Surely you were angry for we sinned. How can we be saved if we remain in our sin? Each of us has become like something unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Oh, but here comes the surrender piece. It goes on in uh, verse eight. It says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure. Do not remember our iniquity forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray. We are your people. Friend, we need to acknowledge our sinfulness. We need to acknowledge our sin, be willing to see it for what it is, to be humble enough to let him convict us. We need to surrender it to him and we need to repent of our sinful ways. How can we be saved if we remain in our sin? We can't. But the good news is, is that Jesus came so we could be, right? Jesus came, he made a way where there was no way. And so we need to come to this place of like humility, of lowness and saying, God, we need you. I am your, I am your vessel. I am the clay. You are the potter and the clay yields to the potter's hands. And so God, I pray that you would shape me and you would mold me and you would cut off pieces if they don't honor you however you see fit god and i believe that in that kind of repentant humble surrendered place god sees that and he wants to move oh he wants to move in that one of my favorite verses it says in second chronicles 7:14 it says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray if they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways he says then at that point, if they do that, here's what I'll do. Here's the covenant I'll make. I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That is who God is. That is his promise. If you you are mine, if you're my people, if you're called by my name, which we are, if we'll humble ourselves, if we'll pray, if we'll seek his face, which is, I believe, the fasting piece in that. And if we'll turn from our wicked ways, that turning is to repent, then he'll hear us and he'll heal us and he'll forgive us. So friend, we need to be people of repentance and of humility and of surrender. And then number three, we need to have purity of heart. And this really ties back into the last point, but I feel like um, there was just one additional thing I wanted to, to share with you here and to kind of present to you. Because friend, God blesses a pure heart. And I think this applies to us as a body of believers as well. You know, we pray for revival. We want to see God do amazing things amongst in us, uh, in our homes, but also into the greater body of Christ. And I think it comes back to a purity piece. You know, in Acts on the day of Pentecost, it says that they were meeting together in one accord. And this phrase, in one accord, in the Hebrew is homu and thumos. And those are meaning together in one passion. And friends, these were ordinary people. Like these were ordinary people, but it says they were of one passion. It can mean of one mind. It can mean of one spirit. It can mean united under one name. That's what we're talking about. And in their united hearts, what did God do? If you know the book of Acts, if you know Acts 2, you know that God moved powerfully among them. He poured out his spirit and thousands of unbelieving, unrepentant people were saved that day. Thousands. And I believe Ephesians, in Ephesians in chapter 4, it actually gives us a clear like rule book, a clear guide on how we need to pursue the single-minded one passion, one spirit kind of unity and throw off everything that hinders and all the sin that easily entangles that's talked about in Hebrews. So Ephesians 4, 30 through 32, here's what it says. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And I just want to pause here. If the Holy Spirit is the thing we're inviting, if it's his breath, his spirit that we want to see come and bring about death to life, it says, don't grieve it. How do we grieve it? It goes on to say, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, but don't grieve him by doing this. You need to get rid of all bitterness. You need to get rid of all rage. You need to get rid of all anger, all brawling, all slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and be compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you. Friend, we don't grieve the Holy Spirit by not doing those things. And I just had this thought this afternoon where um, somebody had commented on something else and they said, you know, well, that's just, that's kind of (laughs) hard. And I think that this begs a deeper thing here that I want to point out. Do we believe the word of God to be the authoritative word of God? Do we want some of it or do we want all of it? Because I believe if we want all of it, if, and if we want all of God and we want all the blessings, we need to take all the reprimands too. We have to take it all, all of it, because it's all for our benefit. It's all for rebuking and teaching that it cuts through a uh, separating joint from marrow. Like that's the word of God. It's not in part. And so I know that that verse can kind of like cut us. It cuts me in areas, areas where I'm still learning how to yield to God in these areas. But friend, it says, get rid of all of your bitterness, all of your rage, all of your anger, all of your brawling, all of your slander, and all of your malice. And instead, be compassionate, be kind, forgive, because Jesus forgave you. We need to be in one accord. We get rid of all of it. And in turn, we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In turn, we do quite the opposite. We invite him in. Because we don't want to, we don't want to be our offense and our stuff, our uh, sin. We don't want that to be the thing that snuffs out the revival that he so desperately and is so willing to give. So we need to pursue purity in our hearts. And then number four, we need to faithfully persist. Romans twelve eleven through twelve. This is actually. Um, a verse that is very near and dear to our home. It says, do not let your zeal subside. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in your hope. Be patient in your affliction and persist in prayer. That verse actually, a number of years ago, actually probably about the time, you know, if we're talking about the time uh, we started coming to church and that, you know, personal revival happened. Um, My husband was sitting in his cubicle at work. We're um, seemingly far away from God at that moment. And he felt God speak to him through this verse that, hey, you're going to have a daughter one day. And this is what I want you to name her. And so we have our oldest daughter's name, Sela, because she's going to have zeal for the Lord, zeal for the house of the Lord, that she's going to be joyful and hope, that she's going to be patient in her affliction and she's going to be persistent in her prayer. What a life verse, my word. (laughs) Oh, and then Ephesians 6.18, it captures it as well, of how we need to be faithfully persistent. We pray in the Spirit, it says, at all times, with every kind of prayer and petition. To this end, we stay alert with all perseverance in your prayers for all the saints. In Luke 18, uh, it's uh, 1 through 8, it actually is the parable of the persistent widow. And just to give you the punchline, you know, Jesus is telling the story about, oh, this unjust um, judge and how this widow kept coming to him and saying, hey, I need justice. I need justice. And she just kept persisting. And so finally, the judge says, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. And the Lord goes on to say, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he continue to defer their help? I tell you, he will promptly, promptly carry out justice on their behalf. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? He's asking, will he find this kind of persistent pestering uh, prayer on the earth? And I want him to find that in me when he comes back i want him to say well done china you did well in this and then he even gives another parable in later on uh, but in luke 11 and it's in verse 5 it says then jesus said to them suppose one of you goes to your friend at midnight and says friend give me three loaves of bread and your friend uh says i'm already in bed leave me alone the doors are shut my children are asleep i cannot give you anything the lord says in uh, verse eight, it says, I tell you, even though he will not get up to provide for him because of their friendship, he will because of the man's persistence. He says, so I tell you in Luke 11, nine, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. So if you who are evil and sinful know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? Oh, what a promise. I have leaned on that verse so often of like, no, he says, if I ask, It'll be given to me. He says, if I knock. And that is, the it, the word of God is an anchor for our souls, friends. As a complete sidetrack thing here, the, the word of God is meant to be the thing that tethers us. So no matter the storm, no matter how big the waves are, it tethers us to something that is firm, that is unmoving. No, I know that God said this, so I'm going to hold in faith. I believe it. And I have seen God show up in my life through that. Friends, I believe God is up to something right now. And as I know he's stirring in me and a lot of those around me, I want to invite you to be a part of that. I want you to be a part of, invite you to be a part of the move of God that is here, that is coming, because it's it's coming, it's here. God's invitation has always been there to line our prayers up and our actions up and our lives up and our words up with God, your kingdom come and your will be done. So will you join me in praying this? Join me over the next seven days as we kind of bring our requests and then we pray these things, that some of these elements are seeking God's glory and his power to be revealed on the earth, that we choose to come uh, to repent, to be humbled and to be surrendered that we pursue purity in our hearts by praying through that Ephesians 4, 30 through 32 chapter and also by being faithfully persistent to press in. Friend, this starts in us. We pray this for us. God, start in me. Lord, then overflow out of me onto those around me, onto those I have influence with. God, I pray that anyone I come in contact with would just be able to experience you in such great measure because of the revival that you've done in me. God, my prayer is that you would have your way in me so you can have your way through me. God, I want to be a vessel for you. I want to be clay in the potter's hands. So God, I just pray that you would, as you so often do, you're just looking across the earth for people who are willing to step up and do what you're asking us to do. And so God, when you, when you see me, I pray that you'd see me saying, Lord, here I am, send me. Here I am, I'm available. And I pray that you would find that in the people on the other side of this, the people who are listening in their cars or on their way to work or in their bathroom as they're getting ready or as they're going to bed at night, God, that you would find willing, submitted pieces of clay in the hands of the potter. God, I pray that as we start this fast, that you would show up, not for the glory of China or a podcast or whatever, no, for the glory of God, for the glory, for your glory to come and be revealed among your people, that someone would be able to say, no, I know God wants to meet with me because he did, because he showed up when I showed up, when I laid my stuff down, when I went without that meal and I showed up to meet with him, that God met me. Jesus, this is our testimony that you've brought us from death to life. And I pray that you would do it again. So Lord, would you come breathe on us, move among us. We want to partner with you. We don't want to try and manipulate you or control you, but God, I want to be a part of whatever you're doing. So that's my prayer in Jesus name. Amen. Friends. Amen. I am so excited and so expectant for what our God has for us. I believe he wants to meet you. He wants to encounter you in a way where you are not the same afterwards in the best way possible. I believe that he wants to heal you of whatever has tried to come against you and come against uh, his purpose for your life is. He's for you and he wants to meet with you far more than you think he does. So I just want to encourage you show up tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to be doing it across my lunch. The videos will be available at 12 uh, Central Standard Time uh, for those worship videos. If you are looking for those and uh, let's press in and believe that there is more.